Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. And so as we're doing our vision series, I want to remind you of our vision statement. Our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. Our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. As we shared last week, the word ignite means to catch fire or cause to catch fire. Ignite means to catch fire or cause to catch fire. We fulfill our vision by igniting and fulfilling our mission statement. And so one of the things we made a point last week and we'll reiterate today, it's not just the pastor being on fire. It's not just the praise team being on fire. It's all of us. That if we actually want to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia, we all have to be on fire. You know, the thing is, too often in the body of Christ, we've taken a reverse sports standpoint. You say, well, what do you mean by that? You know, in sports, it's the coaches on the sidelines but the players on the field. But on the body of Christ, for some reason, we want to cheer on the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Go ahead, do the work of the ministry when it's all of us together. We are the body of Christ. You are as much the body of Christ as I am. We all just have different parts in the body. But for us to ignite an awakening, we all have to be on fire. I'll say it again. For us to ignite an awakening, we all have to be on fire. To borrow a phrase, we have to be fired up and ready to go. We have to do what God has called us to do. So we fulfill our vision by igniting and fulfilling our mission statement. And we said our mission statement is to create an environment where anyone can experience the love of God, understand his word, and become part of a family who radically impacts our communities and the world. Our mission statement is to create an environment where anyone can experience the love of God, understand his word and become a part of a family who radically impacts our communities and the world. Our mission statement is what we do every single Sunday. It's how we create and facilitate our experience. Our mission statement is how we create and facilitate our experience. And as you already heard me say, our motto here is experience God. Experience his word, experience his presence, and experience his love. Our God is an experiential God. He doesn't want you to just experience him when you get to heaven. He wants you to have experiences now on this earth. And so last week, I gave you seven things to help you ignite. We said, number one, you have to attend. You know, it may seem very simple, but sometimes you have to reiterate the simple things. You have to attend, whether you're attending here in Austell, in Marietta, in Fayetteville, soon to be in Duluth, or online. You have to attend. Number two, you need to share the words you hear at faith groups and on our experiences with others. Because I know we all have times when something, some part of the message just really drove home to us. It spoke to us. And if it spoke to us, it's very possible it may speak to your friend group or your family or some people on your social media. That as we begin to share the word we hear with others, it impacts their lives. You know, we looked at last week how the word is described like fire. And we need to share the word with others. We live in a day and age where so much bad news. Why don't we share the good news? And the gospel is the good news. It is the news of the blessing of God. It's the news of what Jesus has done for us. And that you don't have to be perfect. That's not how you get into the kingdom of God. Because if that was the case, there's only one person who will be in the kingdom. And his name is Jesus. We get in because we believe Jesus. Because he did everything right. And that's good news. One of the things I shared right before the new year and the Sunday before New Year's Eve, I shared one of the things you're going to have to do this year is tell people how God's been good to you. You're going to have to testify. You're going to have to share your faith experiences, your faith stories, how God brought you through, how God has healed you, how God has delivered you, how God has preserved you, how God has saved you. That this world needs to see what God is doing in your life. Because one of the things about testimonies, it encourages and electrifies people's faith and encourages them to say, well, God did it for them. He could do it for me. So your testimony is important. 
You sharing with others how what God has done in your life is important. Now, I'm not saying you have to use all the big words in the King James to share your testimony. If you don't talk like that on a regular basis, then don't share your testimony like that. Whatever your normal vocabulary is, how you talk, how you encourage others, how you, that's how you need to share your testimony. You might say, well, I haven't been saved that long. I don't know all the Christian words. That's okay. Just testify and don't cuss. It's a good starting place. You got to start somewhere. You might even say, I don't even know how to explain it. I just know God did it for me. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. You have to start telling other people what God has done for you. And they may have questions. Well, if God did this, why didn't he do this? Like, you know what? I don't know. Why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? You don't have to have an answer for everything. How many know that? You really don't have to have an answer for everything. Because how many know we don't know everything? That's why we're so grateful for the Holy Ghost who knows everything. So what you do is you just invite them to come on Sunday and say, hey, come on, let's learn and grow together. So number two, share the words you hear at faith groups and on our Wednesday and Sunday experiences with others. Number three, bring others to church. Don't just invite them, bring them. So whether you attend in person in Austell, in Marietta, in Fayetteville, or Duluth, or you're online, invite and bring others to attend with you. Because we looked at the story of Barnabas last week, and we're so grateful for Barnabas because he brought Saul into the fold of believers. We're so grateful. One of the things, you know, we like, you know, we study about Peter and how important he was to the early church and what he's written and the people he trained, but it was his brother that brought him to Jesus. And so we love Peter, but thank God for his brother who found Jesus first and went and got Peter. Is it possible that there's some Peters out there that we just haven't brought in? Is there possible that there's some Saul's out there who just need you to bring them in? You know, I was sharing, you know, we, there was a general in the kingdom of God who went home to be with the Lord this past week, and I was sharing experience I had with one of his uh, crusades in Argentina. A million people showed up. A million people were gathered for that church service. 200,000 people got saved that night. You know those cameras they had on the football fields to show you the football field? They had it to show you the crowd. And so I was sharing that, and one person asked below this, well, who gets credit for all the people who got saved? Is it the person, is it that man of God or the person who led him to Jesus said, both. So think about this. We think about all the people Billy Graham got saved. But what about the person who led Billy Graham to Jesus? And see, it's not just the person who led him and then that man of God. It's all the people who sold, all the people who prayed, all the people who volunteered. They get the same reward. And so it just begs to ask, how many Peters and Sauls are out there that we haven't brought in yet? That some people just need you to say, hey, come with me. Oh, I don't have a church home. Great, you can come to mine. How many people are out there like that? That would change the world forever if someone just invited them? You know, I was reading a study a few years ago how some people say they don't come to church because they've never been invited. They said, well, we think we have to be invited to show up. And it was a large percentage of Americans who thought that way. Some people are just waiting for an invite. Some people just need you to encourage them. Some people are ashamed because they smell like whatever they've been smoking. So we don't care, just come on. Come on, you see, I grew up in the days when Pastor K would come down here and said, bring your drugs with you. Anybody remember that when Evangelist K Strambler come through? He says, we don't care, come on, bring it. Jesus can handle it. Who are we to keep people out of the kingdom of God? We can't tell them, you know, clean yourself up and come to Jesus. If they could clean themselves up, they wouldn't need Jesus. There's, we need a savior. So we don't say, well, yep, you look good in church, you come on, no. All of us need Jesus. You need Jesus. Come on. We have to bring others into the kingdom. We have to invite them. How many Saul's and Peter's are out there who are just waiting for your invite? Number four, your prayer life. Your prayer life is important. One of the things you see in Paul's writings especially, he would always ask the churches to pray for him. Pray that he'd have a wide door of utterance. Pray that God would do this, that God would do that. He was a big believer, not just in his prayer life, but the prayer life of the church. 
He even said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, pray that the word of the Lord will run swiftly and expand and influence, even as is with you. You know, in Thessaloniki, they were having this great revival. God was moving, doing amazing things, and Paul's at a tough spot. He says, hey, pray that God will do here what he's doing there. He truly believed as the church got together and prayed, things would change. How the experience goes on Sundays is directly connected to the prayer life of the church. It's not just the prayer life of the preacher and the prayer text. Thank God that we in the prayer text pray. But it's not just us. It's all of us. It's taking time every day praying for your church, praying for your church family, praying for the experiences. And as you do, yes, you'll affect that upcoming Sunday, but this time you'll give yourself to prayer and you'll affect an experience a year from now, two years from now. Your prayer life is important. Your prayer life matters. How the word of God expands in an area is directly connected to the prayer life of the church. When you study out awakenings in history, they're all preceded by great times of prayer. People pour themselves out praying, believing for God to move among their community, their city, their state, and their nation. Your prayers and giving yourself to prayer will fuel this awakening. Your prayers and giving yourself to prayer will fuel this awakening. And I'm not saying you have to pray with King James words. I'm just saying you have to pray. So I don't always know what to say. You know what's a good prayer you see in the Bible? Help. Help me, Jesus, and help them. I don't even know what to say, sir, but help. Come on, you're driving by and you see something going on on the road. You don't know what's going on, but Father, I ask that you help them. That's powerful. See, we have to stop thinking that you have to have this great Christian vocabulary to be powerful in prayer. You just have to pray and yield yourself to the Spirit of God. It's important to pray in the Holy Ghost. See, God is visiting hungry hearts everywhere. You just have to yield. You know, there's some people who didn't even know about the baptism of the Holy Ghost but got filled with the Holy Ghost because they were hungry. That happened to Lynn Hammond. Before she knew about it, she was praying. She's like, well, what's going on? I know it's from God, and someone had to tell her what happened. You just have to yield yourself and pray for others. Pray for your community. Pray for the schools in your area. Pray for the companies in this area. Pray for the politicians. Pray. Ask God to intervene. Ask God to protect. Ask God to deliver them. Your prayers are important. Your prayer life matters, and your prayers will fuel this awakening. But we have to be people of prayer. We have to yield ourselves to prayer. That when God moves upon our heart, pray for that person. We actually do. We actually have set time every day to pray. Your prayer life matters. And your prayers impact now and eternity. But we have to be people of prayer. Number five, serving. We looked at Acts chapter 6, 1 through 6 last week, how when the first seven deacons arose to serve, the church began to grow at an explosive rate once again. Serving, whether you're serving on the media team, with the nurses, with hospitality, as ushers or hostesses, whether you're serving in one of the locations to set up and tear down, whether you're serving online, doing wonderful things, wherever you are serving, it matters and makes a difference. And so we're going to have to serve. If this is your church home, then you should serve in it. Amen? If this is your church home, you should serve in it. Now, some of you say, well, I can't serve on Sundays all the time because of my schedule, but I can serve during the week. There's different things you can do. And some of you say, well, I have, you know, I talked about a little bit last week. You say, well, I have this, you know, I have this talent, but I don't know if it has place in the kingdom of God. It actually does. You know, too many times we call things not spiritual when we're spirits. You know you're a spirit, right? So why do you call yourself not spiritual? It's like, oh, my painting's not spiritual, but you're a spirit who's painting. Because, you know, you can paint a lot better than some others. Come on, some people try to paint, and you just like, oh, bless their heart. But you paint, it looks good. It's a gifting. I think about one uh, individual who says, you know what, I just like to clean. Can I come and help clean during the week? And they clean 
the stage and it looked better than when we bought it and built it. I was like, I don't even know how you did it, but bless God. There are people who like to cut grass. You know, that's the ministry to them. Well, let the Lord use you. We have to stop calling things not spiritual just because it doesn't seem spiritual. God has given you giftings and talents and anointings, and it has a place within the house of God and outside of the house of God. You are graced to serve in the house and outside the house. If this is your church home, you should serve in it. It makes room for more people to come and their lives be impacted by what God is doing. Number six, very simple, you're giving. You're giving helps us do what God's called us to do. Not just to do what we do here, but because you're giving, we're able to expand in Marietta and Fayetteville and Duluth and eventually to all the 21 plus locations. Your giving is important. So whether you think, oh, what I have to give is too small or it doesn't matter. No, everybody's giving matters. You know, we're all at different places in our financial ability. But the thing is, God didn't say, you know, when the people who are really rich give, it makes a difference, but the people who don't have a lot of money give, it doesn't. No, it's all of us. As we all do what God has put on our hearts to do, as we follow the scriptures and we're moved by the spirit, what comes in will always be more than enough. But it's all of us, not just one person. It's all of us. Your giving matters. And because of your giving, not only what we shared this last week, not only do we make a difference within our church family and step up and be able to bless the people who had a hard time last year, but we're also able to give thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars to feed this community. We're able to do it because of your giving. So you got to think, when I was just thinking about the numbers, it's very possible it was close to a thousand families that ate last year because of you. Not individuals, families. And we're just getting started. Your giving matters. Number seven, get excited about the vision. Get excited about the vision. Because as we're all in one mind and one excitement about the vision, and we stay stirred up about it, more things will happen. God is doing some amazing things. If we stay focused and stay excited, we'll keep accelerating. So Acts chapter 2, I want to key in today on number one, attend. Because sometimes we say attend, okay, just show up. Okay, I showed up. But it's not just showing up. It's also about how you show up. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. This applies to when you're showing up in person or online. This applies to how you show up in person or online. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Now, when you look at Acts chapter 1, they've already been gathering for about nine days. Acts chapter 2 is the 10th day. Now, why are they gathering? Because Jesus told them to, right? Jesus told them to gather, so they're gathering. So they're obeying the words of Jesus. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. What is that? They're unified. We'll cover this in one of our next series is don't let the enemy divide you. Just don't give in to the division that's in the world. Don't give in to the highly polarized climate. Don't give in to it. Focus on unity. Focus on moving forward with what the Holy Ghost has told you to do. You see this early church all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, they weren't just gathering random. They were gathering in expectation because Jesus said that he was going to pour out his Spirit upon them, right? We see that in Luke chapter 24. We see that in Acts chapter 1. Jesus said, this is what you need to tarry for in King James or wait. Now, you don't have to tarry away for the Holy Ghost now because he's been given. But he told them for these 10 days to tarry, to wait. So they gathered every day and prayed. But I want you to see how they gathered with expectation. 
they gathered expecting God to do something. And so when we gather, we need to expect God to do something. Not just, well, I came to church, I attended, I, I came or I turned on my phone or turned on my computer, I'm here, Jesus. Can we mark this off on my spiritual checklist for the week? I, I showed up. It's not just showing up. It's showing up in expectation. Expecting God to do something wonderful. Whether it's in Austell, Marietta, Fayetteville, Duluth, or online. When we gather, we expect God to do something wonderful. We expect to experience God. We expect to experience his word. We expect to experience his presence. We expect to experience his love. We expect him to do something wonderful in our midst. So we have to gather with expectation. Say gather with expectation. Go ahead and put in that chat online. Gather with expectation. It's one of the reasons why we say often something good is going to happen to you today. What do we want you to do? Expect something good to happen to you today. Or expect miracles. We want you to expect the miraculous to occur as we gather. Go over a page or swipe over to Acts chapter 3. The power of expectation. Acts chapter 3. Now many of us are familiar with the story. Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. Now we see this. Now why did Peter and John go together? Don't you remember how Jesus already paired them up? He would always send them two by two. And it seems that Peter and John were the pair Jesus put together. Peter was the oldest disciple and John was the youngest. By some accounts, John was a teenager when he was following Jesus. Peter was older. He was married. His mother-in-law lived in his house. And so he paired them together. And we're so grateful for what they accomplished together. But now they're going together to pray. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms from them. And so this is what the guy does every day. He's seated in this place, hoping that people going to church will be a little bit extra generous because they're heading to church. Either get them before they go to give or after they go to give. This is, he's expecting to receive something, right? Who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed to them, expecting to what? Receive something. What opened him up for a miracle? His expectation. He expected to receive something. He wasn't sure what he was going to receive, but he expected to receive something. Now, we know what happened. How Peter, in the authority of Jesus, caused that man to get up and walk. And we know how he went walking and leaping and praising God. And Peter gets up and preaches and 5,000 people get saved. But it started with one person being in expectation. Your expectation sets you up to receive. That if you want to receive from God, you need to expect to receive something. You need to expect the goodness of God to manifest in your life. You need to expect the glory of God to manifest in your life. We have to stop being negative people. Some of us expect bad things. Well, one bad thing happened today, and it comes in threes. You're expecting bad things. You're expecting the curse. You're expecting generational curses. Your mind has been wired to expect the negative. But we need to shift our mentality and expect the goodness of God in the land of the living. In our everyday life and when we come and gather, we need to expect. Say, we need to expect the goodness of God to manifest. Go to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. We need to gather in expectation. Acts 14. So this is Paul and Barnabas on one of their missionary journeys. And it says in verse 7, And there they preached the gospel. And there 
sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. Said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now how? What happened? Paul is preaching the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news. What does Galatians 3 say the gospel is? It is the blessing of God. So he's preaching the blessing. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the good news about Jesus. And somewhere in his message, he talked about Jesus healing. Because when Jesus walked the earth, he would preach, teach, and heal. That is something you see on a regular basis. Preach, teach, heal. Preach, teach, and heal. This is what Jesus did. And somewhere in Paul's message, he covered whether it was a small portion or a large portion in that message because Paul preached for a long time. He was a long-winded preacher. You see, one time in the book of Acts, he preached all night long to the point that someone was trying to stay awake, so they sat in the window probably for the fresh breeze to keep them awake, and they fell asleep and fell down three stories and died. Paul ran downstairs, raised the dude from the dead, and kept preaching to the morning. That's a long message. <laughs> and so Paul is preaching, so somewhere in his message, he covers healing. And this man, who did not grow up in church, he didn't grow up in the synagogue, wasn't even probably a believer at this point. He's hearing this message, and he begins to believe. Why? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he's hearing the word of God about Jesus being the healer and faith is coming in his heart and he believes that Jesus can heal him. And Paul perceives that and says, get up and walk. And he's healed. But it's his expectation and his faith that set him up for the miracle. It was his expectation and his faith that set him up for the miracle. Your faith can receive things. See, didn't Jesus tell us in Mark 11 that believe that you receive, right? Another word for receive is take. Faith takes it. I remember one time, it was, wow, it was about six years ago, we did a Woman of Virtue cruise. And so we had about 200 people on that cruise boat. And so one thing that happened that, you know, when you do cruises, they have a, you know, you have the emergency thing where you have to go through all the different protocol and, you know, standing on the hardwood floor for a long period of time. For whatever reason, it took longer. And so there are a number of people whose legs and backs were hurting because of standing out there. And so we go into our first experience, and I'm like, you know what, because I kept hearing about this. Says, There's no point for you to come on this cruise to have fun with your sisters and be in pain. Jesus wouldn't want that. And so I told him, receive your healing. Take it. I said, the healing anointed is here. And you saw all these people just reach up and take it, and immediately they were healed. It's like, it's gone. Praise God. Let's have some fun. By their faith, they took it. The Bible says when we gather in his name, there he is in the midst of us. When we praise, he inhabits the praises of our people. There are times when the glory of God will just move through a building. But your faith can receive whatever you need. So whether you're at home or in person, your faith has to take it. Not just saying, well, I'll see if you know, God just points me out or calls me out. Well, if the pastor calls me out specifically, I know I'll receive something. But why don't you just take it by your faith? You come in expectation, expecting God to do something. By your faith, you receive whatever you need to receive. That as you're coming to church, you're meeting with God. You said, I expect to experience him, and I'm going to receive what he has for me today. Whether it's wisdom, whether it's strength, whether it's help, whether it's healing, whether it's deliverance, whatever you need by your faith, you take it. You said, I have it. I remember years ago, I was preaching in Argentina. And so by this point, I was still a college student. And this is my second year. I think it was my second year preaching down there. And the pastor said, he said, I was just part, I was one of the college students. He says, Carrick preaches every night he's here. And then he disappeared. I don't know where that pastor went for a few days. I was just, now I was preaching eight times on a weekend. And as I was preaching on the blessing, you know, in certain churches, they would shout and dance. In other churches, they would clap. But this church did something different. When I would preach on it, they lifted their hands, and to translate, they said, I receive it. And guess what? God did wonderful things among them. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 
chapter 3, verse 5. Your faith and expectation affects what happens anytime we gather. He, therefore, that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Another translation says, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. So why does God move among us and work miracles among us? Simply because we believe. You believe the word you hear preached. And as you believe the word you hear preached, God does amazing things among you. So it's not just attendance that I showed up. It's showing up with faith and expectation and believing the word of God. Go to Luke chapter 5. So why are you covering these things? Because as we do this collectively over a period of time, we're creating a culture. A culture of revival. A culture where God can move. A culture where we stay ignited and we ignite an awakening. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal who? What does the word say? Them. So who's the them? The Pharisees and the doctors of the law. Right? Now, sometimes when you read through the Gospels, when you have certain sects of the Pharisees show up, it's a contentious meeting. But this is not a contentious meeting. They are in either Jesus' house or Peter's house. They're sitting in a house together. This is an intimate setting. Come on, you know if they were enemies of Jesus, they ain't coming to his house. They ain't coming to Peter's house. This is a very intimate setting. They were open to receive from Jesus. They're open to hear from Jesus. And so they show up for all these areas. They travel from a distance to heal from Jesus, and they're sitting while Jesus is preaching and teaching. And some people say, well, if Jesus was here today, I know I would be healed. But this group of people were in Jesus' face, and no one was healed, even though the power was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed, a man which was taken with the palsy, so he couldn't walk. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went home. No. Because some of us, like, well, I showed up. It's too hard. Let's go back home. But these four friends had a little bit of crazy faith. Because one of them, one of the five dudes, had an idea. What if we climbed up on the roof and lifted his heavy tail up on the roof. Because remember, they have to lift this dude up. They're climbing on top of a roof, carrying this dude. So what after we get there, we cut a hole in Jesus' roof. Come on, cutting a hole in somebody's roof? And then we lower him down in front of Jesus. We got him to Jesus. Jesus can do the rest. We brought him, Jesus would do the rest. And notice what happened when they did that and let him down through the tiling with his couch in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto the man, man, your sins are forgiven you. Notice their faith. All five of them had faith. The four friends to bring him to Jesus, to pick him up, to carry him the roof, and the fifth friend to let them do it and not fight them. Says, no, you ain't, y'all might drop me. These five friends had faith for Jesus to do something. They said, if we show up and do our part, we know Jesus would do his part. And Jesus looked at the man and said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And then the Pharisees who were gathered start thinking, well, what, who is this that forgives sins? And Jesus answers their thoughts. They didn't say it out loud, but Jesus answered their thoughts and said, what is it easier? Say, your sins are forgiven or say, rise up and walk but that you may know the Son of Man has power enough to forgive sins, I say unto you, get up and walk. Now, this is how you know this was not a contentious gathering because after he was healed, everyone began to praise God. 
everyone began to give God glory. But up to this point, we don't know how many other people got healed as they praise God. Because have you ever seen that when we begin to worship and praise, the Spirit of God moves among us and does wonderful things. So it's right possible. More Pharisees and doctors of law were healed as they began to glorify God. But notice up to this point, the only one person was healed. Even though their anointing was there to heal all of them, one person tapped in and received it. We see this through the ministry of Jesus, how one person's faith even may delay Jesus' travel. Where Jesus is not even thinking about them, but their faith receives miracle. We know the woman with the issue of blood who made her way through the crowd and grabbed Jesus' garment and received healing. She grabbed that garment, received healing, went back into the crowd. And Jesus pauses, whoa, who touched me? Now he's in a crowd and the disciples are like, what do you mean, who touched you? Everybody is touching you. You know you would too. You wouldn't be on your best behavior if you actually were walking near Jesus. You'd be talking to him, trying to get his attention. Someone would be holding on to him and hanging off of him. That's what they were doing. But one person in that crowd got healed because of the touch of faith. That power was all on Jesus, all around Jesus. There's all these people touching him, but only one person got healed, the person whose faith received the power. It's not just about the anointing being present. It's about your faith receiving it. Your faith taking it. It's the expectation and your faith you have as we gather. There are times I remember I was preaching and I wasn't even praying for a person, but a person came in, I could see them from the back. You see, I'm used to watching everything because I was a youth pastor. You know, as a youth pastor, you have to preach and watch everything at all times. You know, this is part of being a youth pastor. And so a few years ago, I remember doing this and we're preaching and we're worshiping and I'm just watching and I see this gentleman, I believe it was a first time guest, he came in on a cane. But as we were worship, something happened to him. You could see him move around and he looked at his cane and he threw it under his seat. No one had prayed for him. No one had talked to him, but he was healed. I remember a testimony Brother Eric was telling me about sometime last year in Marietta. A person came, he had arthritis in his wrist. He was telling him, you know, I have arthritis in my wrist. And Brother Eric said, well, you be healed in the name of Jesus. And before that man left this place, his wrist was completely healed. It's not just about the pastor praying for people. It's all of us. Aren't we the body of Christ? Aren't you the body of the anointed one? Doesn't the Holy Ghost live on the inside of you? You can have faith to receive, and you can have faith to give out. Go to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. First Corinthians 14, verse 26. Now, the church of Corinth was just a very interesting church. You could call it Paul's problem church. One of the things with the church of Corinth, when they got it right, man, they got it right big. But when they got it wrong, woo, they got it wrong big. It's like they had this mentality, go big or go home. And so the first woo, six chapters or so, Paul is correcting them. You know, in other chapters, it might be a few verses maybe a chapter, six chapters of correction. Then you get to chapter seven, verse one. Now concerning what you wrote me. So now I'm gonna ask you your questions, but it took me six chapters to correct you so you get to a place where I can answer your questions and then go back into correction afterwards. And so when you get to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, one of the things you see in chapter 12 and chapter 14 is Paul gives a dissertation on the gifts of the Spirit and how the gifts operate. And one of the things the church of Corinth had going for it, they believed in the Holy Ghost movement among them. They, Paul even said they abounded or overflowed or excelled in the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit. And so he said in verse 26, how is it then, brethren? When you come together, so when you gather, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine or a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done to edify or for the purpose of building up the church. So notice when Corinth came together, they didn't come as consumers. They came as contributors. Now, it's okay to come and believe to receive something from God. We talked about that, coming in expectation to receive. But they also came in expectation to give. So whether it's a week you're serving or not, just you sitting in an aisle 
or in the building next to someone and you just wave at them. You just say hi. You show the love of God and ministers to people. That you come to church ready to, well, Holy Ghost, whatever you want to do. If you want to use me, then use me. If it's using me through the gifts of the Spirit and tongues, is it using me through just loving somebody? Is it using me for bringing someone to church? However you want to use me, I'm open. See, one of the things in our American culture, we're used to being consumers, but not contributors. You know, even in the business sense, we're used to consuming and not producing, which is what limits a lot of our financial prosperity because we're focused on consuming and not going forward and growing in wisdom. Didn't the Bible say, are my people destroyed for lack of knowledge? And so when it comes to finances, but when it just comes to this, it's not just coming to church being consumers, but being contributors. That you actually have something to give. See, the enemy has talked you out of believing you have something to give. Because you think about your past and what you've done and how you don't feel spiritual. And he says, well, you don't have anything to give today. But that's a lie from hell. Doesn't the Holy Ghost live in you? And if he lives in you and you check in with him, you got something to give. And you don't have to sound like me or Minister Dathan or Minister Reggie. You don't have to sound like us. You sound like you. The Holy Spirit will use your vocabulary, your way of speaking, your way of talking. He will talk through you and in your style. I still remember a time of years ago, a youth camp, a tongue and interpretation came out, and the person interpreted was describing and using an example with Skittles in it. You must say, how would the Holy Ghost prophesy talking about Skittles? But for the audience, it made sense. So stop thinking the Holy Ghost will only use a certain set of vocabulary when he knows you. Come on, if someone spoke to you in the King James, you ignore them. But if it was a little slang in there, you might pay attention. I still remember, uh, it was about a month or so ago, you know, there's something going on, and I said it, and you know, I was, internal conversation with God, it's not out loud, internal conversation, you know. You know, I was saying to him, this, this what I was looking at really concerns me. He said, well, not concerns you enough that you prayed about it. I'm like, oh, maybe, ooh, okay, I guess I'll pray about this. But it's what I needed to pray. It wasn't, well, if it concerns thou enough, then thou will yield yourself and pray in the spirit, and you know, no. It was just a quick, I'm like, oh, excuse me, sir. Yeah. He'll talk to you where you need to hear it. And a lot of times we rule out the voice of the Holy Ghost because it sounds like us. When the Holy Ghost talks to you, he talks to you through your spirit. He lives in your spirit. So he's communicating to you through your spirit so it will sound like you. So well, how do I know if it's God or just me? Well, is what is saying line up with the word of God? than it is, is God talking to you through your spirit. But your spirit will also talk to you. How do you know what's right and what's wrong? By lining up what you hear with the word of God. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16. Let's begin to bring this to a close. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16. You have something to give. You have something to contribute. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. Every joint of the body of Christ has a supply. Say, I have a supply. Go ahead and put it in the chat. Say, I have a supply. One more time. I have a supply. But you know, your supply will be different than others. My supply is different than Minister Dathan's. You know, it would be foolish for me to think, well, God, I'm upset. I can't sing like him. It would be awesome if I could sing like that. It really could be. I was like, God, imagine what we could do. <laughs> but I have my supply. He has his supply. And it would be foolish for me to be upset that my supply isn't his supply. But when our supplies come together, God does wonderful things. But you have a supply too. And when we all come together, 
God does wonderful things. We call that the corporate anointing. There are some things that happened in church because you showed up. You say, well, I didn't preach. I didn't sing. I didn't do anything. No, but you brought your supply. And you came in expectation and faith. And God took your supply and combined it with somebody else's supply. And it moved and did wonderful, amazing things. Say, I have a supply. Notice what Paul says here about your supply. According to the effectual working and the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying, the building of itself up in love. Your supply, when it comes together with someone else's supply, causes the body of Christ to expand, to grow up, and to increase in love. You have a supply, and your supply matters. So stop thinking, well, my supply doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter if I show up and do, well, I'm not serving. I'm not doing anything. It doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Your supply makes a difference. You being open and come with faith and expectation, it makes a difference. And your supplies come together and create wonderful moves of God. See, because we're so focused on the natural, we don't always know that when God moves and does wonderful things among us, and especially what we call like Holy Ghost services, that he puts stuff in your heart, puts stuff in your spirit. He just drops stuff in there. You don't even realize it's there until you need it. And you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Well, three years ago, the Holy Ghost was moving, and you didn't realize why you fell down, and you were, you know, he's like, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm not looking that respectable right now. But he dropped something on the inside of you. And then you've been carrying it like an ember or amber. And all it takes for an ember to become a fire is the breath or the wind of God. And so now you're in a situation like, God, I need you to help me. And he blows on something he's already put on the inside of you, and it becomes a fire. And so I'm so glad that when I look over life, I had chances to be in meetings with Dad Hagen and Oral Roberts and Luis Palau and people when I've gone to different countries. And God would do stuff, and it dropped in my heart and my spirit. And then... Not knowing that God was doing the same thing. I remember when one of my best friends came to visit about the first year when I was pastoring. And so we just had a healing line praying for the sick, and God was healing people. And I went to sat down, and he said next to me, he said, okay, P-Rob. I'm like, what are you talking about? Now, P-Rob was our nickname for Richard Roberts. And when I went to ORU, he was the president of the university. And then we went to a class with him called Charismatic Life and Healing. And for a whole semester, Richard Roberts taught us and poured into us and taught us on how Jesus would preach, teach, and heal. And I didn't realize that as I was ministering to the sick, I was doing the same thing that Richard Roberts did. I didn't even realize that. I didn't realize that what God put in him got into me. I was just attending. I was just there in faith. I was just believing God. And I didn't realize that it began to show up and affect someone else. So you attending and you being open in faith and expectation, God will put things on the inside of you. That will show up later, not just for you, but for others. Your spirit is a warehouse. God will put things on the inside of you. You know, the glory is also called weighty. It's heavy with everything good. God will put things on the inside of you. That will show up sometimes a few weeks later, sometimes years or decades later. And something will come out like, whoa, where did that come from? And if you actually spend time with God and he told you, you say, well, you know, remember 40 years ago, you know, you were here at this and, you know, you were in kids world. And, you know, you were just singing and the teacher was teaching and I put something on the inside of you. What God does among us is more wonderful than we realize. We just always have to gather in faith and expectation and stop counting ourselves out because we're human. We're all human. You get that, right? Because you're human, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have to repent. You're going to have to forgive people, and people are going to have to forgive you. But don't say because of your past and because of your mistakes and because of how you fell short, God can't use you. No, God will still use you. Have more faith in the blood of Jesus than you do in your mistakes and your iniquity and your sin. Believe that the blood actually did its job. Go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul's in a tough spot. He's in so tough a spot. He says, well, I don't know if I actually want to keep on living, you know. For me to go to heaven, it's gain for me. But for me to stay, it's kind of gain for y'all and gain for the kingdom of God. And he said, you know what? I'll stay so that your faith and your joy can grow. And then notice what he says in verse 19 of Philippians chapter 1. For I know that this, his situation, his circumstance, shall turn to my salvation or my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's like, I believe that as you pray and as you give your supply, what's going on in my life will turn. He told the church at Philippi, when you come together and your supplies come together and y'all pray, this situation's gonna turn for me. Say, I have a supply. And our supplies coming together will ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. Go to Acts chapter two, verse 42. You have a supply. You have a supply. You know, I was thinking about this week, you know, the times what God did in my life when I was in Argentina. I still remember the first time I was down there and they laid hands on me. And you know, I fell out before, but I don't fall out that often, you know? But that day, Lord have mercy. It's like I was stuck to the ground and I get up and I fell down again. The power is so strong, it felt, it felt like my tongue. You know how it says, you know, he put a coal on his tongue? It felt like my tongue was vibrating. So if it, I felt shaking. I'm like, what is going on as I'm at the altar of God? And one of the things I remember, they kept, you know, the pastor prayed for me. His wife prayed for me. His kids prayed for me. They all laid hands on me. They said, and the, norm, the prayer was, take this back to America. That's what they were praying. Take it back to America. Take it back to America. And so, you know, I'm just a college student then. Doing my best to do what God has called me to do and, you know, take classes. And then I remember a couple years after I've been pastor, a friend of mine and his wife who was from that church in Argentina. That church had been revival for decades. You know, they came to visit. They said, this feels just like it did when we were in Argentina. The wife who grew up down there said, this, I can tell the impact that church had on you because this feels like the church I grew up in. So we're building a revival culture here. We're not just coming to church to do our religious duty. It's like, well, we went to church where, you know, our outfits still look good and, you know, we're good. No, we're building a revival culture so we can ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. To when people walk in, they don't even know what to expect, but God meets them in the parking lot. So don't be surprised when you see people getting out of their cars and they walk in and they get kind of stumbling and they start crying and they start repenting when they walk through the doors. Just if you serve in the hospitality team, just go ahead and lead them to Jesus and just take them to their seat. We expect the outpouring of God. We expect God to do wonderful things to where the glory of God manifests in this house and it just flows out to the neighborhood. Now they don't even know what's going on. They're at home and the cloud goes into their house. We just expect God to do wonderful things. Acts 2, verse 42. So after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out, Peter preaches that wonderful message. 3,000 people get saved. And notice what they did next. And they continued steadfastly in what? Four things. The apostles' doctrine, so teaching. So they stayed in the word of God and intended to hear the word preached and taught. And fellowship, that's partnership. That's also doing life together. And breaking of bread. They're having community. They're eating together. And in prayer, steadfastly, they attended, they were in the word, they built community, and they prayed. Prayer wasn't just an afterthought. As I said, prayer will fuel this awakening. This awakening we are igniting will be fueled by prayer. So we must pray for each other. We must pray for this community. We must pray for this church. We must pray for this mission and this vision every single day. Go to Psalm 22, verse 3, and we'll close here. Psalm 22, verse 3. Because whatever you do consistently creates a culture and an atmosphere. Whatever you do consistently creates a culture and an atmosphere. Psalm 22, verse 3, but you are holy, O thou that inhabitest 
the praises of Israel. So yes, we're a word church. We will teach the word line upon line, precept upon precept, scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. That is who we are and that's what we'll do. It's important. But we also have to be Holy Ghost people, which we talked about. But we also have to be those who worship God in spirit and truth. That yes, we'll sing the songs that are written, but then when we're done singing those songs, we don't just stop because the music ended and let's, let's see what the praise team sings now. No, we keep worshiping. You worship from your heart. You worship in the spirit. You yield yourself to God. You're focused on him and what he does among you. Because then the Holy Ghost will be able to move and do wonderful things. Now, even this live album we're preparing to do, it's songs of the spirit. Things he said and sang out while we gathered. And one of the things is, it does wonderful things among us when we worship. Because not only does that affect us, and all those watching online, that there's times we've reshared things that have happened during our experience and people watch it and sense the presence of God. We live in an age where so many people are on the devices that we should really believe for a digital revival. I remember years ago, probably a decade ago, now I was preaching a word of faith in Southfield and the glory of God came in a very strong and heavy way. And so, and I was looking on Facebook afterwards and I saw a person who was watching from the Middle East. They were serving our nation and their station in the Middle East. And they said, I felt the glory through the screen. And so I began to think differently over a decade ago. I said, it's not just what God does in everybody in the house. It's all those who are connected, however they're watching, that the same glory that's in this building can move into their house. And then if we replay these experiences, that same glory, because there's no time and distance in the spirit and God is eternal and he lives outside of time, that same glory can come upon someone else that they watch later. And the same glory we experience as we record the album, that no matter when they listen to it, that same glory gets on them. We're igniting awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. So yes, there's a lot of natural things we have to do, but we have to pay attention to this culture and this environment that we are creating and know that we all have a supply. So one more time, say, I have a supply. And my prayer life matters. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So when we gather, we come expecting him. And sometimes he moves and church is shorter. Sometimes he moves and church is longer. But we don't say that it has to be under this time for God to move. Whatever he wants to do. If he wants to have church shorter, fine. I remember I've been in moves of God that church ended early and we got to the restaurants before the other church people. And other times we were in church far longer than them. But we come together not putting a time limit on God. Not saying he has to move like we saw in the past. Now, I study revivals, and I've studied revivals of the last century. And I know God does move that way. But I'm not holding him captive to how he moved in the Voice of Healing Revival or on Azusa Street or the Charismatic Renewal. Yes, he did those things, and he's going to do things like that again. But what if he does something new? Doesn't the scripture say, behold, I do a new thing? So we can't just expect what we saw in the past to happen again. Yes, those things will happen. We have to expect for the Holy Ghost to do whatever is necessary. Whatever is necessary to move in this generation. So we're not holding them captive to what we saw in the past. Because too many times we'll focus on the past and build a denomination and fight what God is doing today. So that means we have to be word people and Holy Ghost people. We have to flow with them. And when he wants to do something new, we don't get afraid. We just follow after him. He'll never lead you in a way that's against the word of God. He wrote the word, so he's not going to lead you against what he wrote. So we just yield to him. We have to be professional yielders. So God, I have my plan, but if you don't like it, whatever you want to do. Because, you know, I realize you are far smarter than me. It's not even close. It's not even a competition. You're far smarter. 
in this old Pentecostal phrase, the Holy Ghost can do more in five minutes than we could do in five years. And if we actually believe that and came in an expectation of that and yielded to that, maybe we'd get a lot further in where we're trying to go. So lift your hands. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.